You're listening to Market Boldly, an award-winning podcast for executives, brand managers, branch managers, marketing directors, and sales managers in distribution who want to build their brand, stimulate sales, and drive profits. And now, here's your host, marketing consultant, trainer, speaker, and columnist, Katrina Olson. My guest today is John Favallo, Executive Vice President of Mower and leader of its B2B practice. Mower is one of America's largest privately held full-service marketing, advertising, public relations, and strategic consulting agencies with nine locations throughout New York and in Atlanta, Boston, Charlotte, and Cincinnati. John owned and operated Sage Marcom for 32 years before combining with Mower in 2001. He has been selected by Advertising Ages B2B Magazine four times as a who's who in B2B. He has won multiple EFI, American Marketing Association Awards, B2 Business Marketing Association Awards, and Best of the Best National Association of Electrical Distributors Awards. In 2017, John was inducted into the Association of National Advertisers Business to Business Marketing Hall of Fame. At Mower, John Favallo guides the direction and development of the nearly 200-person agency's B2B practice, including work for clients such as Legrand, Pass and Seymour, Carrier Corporation, Eaton, Siemens, FedEx, and GE. I met John through LinkedIn when we started commenting on each other's articles and realized we shared an interest in marketing and electrical distribution. So John Favallo, welcome, and thank you for joining me on Market Boldly. Thank you, Katrina. Um, I have to say I admire what you're doing. Oh, thanks. Uh, because, <laughs> because B2B needs bolder marketing. So it's a great honor and pleasure to be with you today. Well, thank you. Um, we did meet on LinkedIn, right? And I think, uh, did we meet in person once maybe? Well, you're right. We did connect on LinkedIn, but I believe we met previously, geez, years years ago at uh, an electrical industry event. Uh, it might have been a NEMA function or maybe one of uh, NAAD's meetings. Yeah, probably NAAD. I kind of forget how long I've been doing this. I've been doing this. We were we were talking earlier off offline about um, children, and I've been doing this since right after my first daughter was born, and she's going to college this year. So when we started talking about having you on the podcast, you sent me some pieces you had written, and one that struck me, because this is always a hot topic, was the white paper called, Can Your Brand Survive the Amazon Tsunami? And in that paper, you discussed how Amazon is disrupting the electrical distribution supply chain. That's not news to anyone. Um, we're all getting more comfortable with digital technology. In fact, um, you quoted an NAED study that said more than 90% of contractors use smartphones, and that was in 2016. So I imagine that number is more like 97 or 98% now. What do you think? Well, easily in the high 90 percentile. Yeah. But you know, statistics really don't do the trend justice. Uh, a couple of years ago, I attended a contractor forum one of our electrical clients put on, and every single one of the 25 or so contractors that were there had a, a smartphone strapped to their hip. Mm -hmm. So throughout the event, they were shooting our clients' products, they were shooting demonstrations, and they were shooting each other. Mm -hmm. And some of those photos got sent off to job sites with notes and questions and comments and say, hey, what about this thing? Yeah, nice. You also um, had a statistic about how many electrical contractors use online uh, search versus electrical distributor websites. Can you share those numbers with us and, and where they came from? Sure. Uh, about five years ago, we did our own study of technology usage among contractors. 
And at that time, 84% of our survey used Google and other online search engines to find product information. Mm -hmm. So considering year-over-year -year growth in technology adoption, I think it's fair to say that uh, that number approaches 100%. Yeah. Yet, yet, in NAED's 2016 Contractor Technology Benchmark, only 46% of the survey used distributors' websites to search for product information. 59% used manufacturers' sites to find the product data they wanted. So to me, this reveals an industry that's still, you know, a bit behind the curve technologically. Agree? Yeah, I hate to say it, but you're right. Um, I had a distributor tell me the other day that uh, sometimes when customers come in to their counter looking for a part, um, the counter staff will actually look it up on Amazon and then, you know, go find the part in their warehouse, which is, you yeah. know, probably not good. No, aye, 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 as uh, Ricky would say. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, people in the trade, you know, it's just a fact that people in the trade like using search engines. Yeah. And, Amazon Business, yeah, Amazon Business is a buying site, but it's also a place where you can search. Mm -hmm. In fact, depending upon the product category, Amazon can have more SKUs in its system than distributors have in wow. theirs. And this speaks volumes about how important it is to have a website optimized for search today. You know, people will go to where it's easiest and fastest to find what they're looking for. You know, they don't want to spend time looking. They want to spend time making decisions. And so they want to get the looking part over as quickly as possible. Yeah, and it's tough to compete, obviously. It's tough for distributors to compete with those robust search engines that Amazon has been refining for years before we got into the search engine and the, you know, the website <laughs> online e-commerce business. So, yeah, it's, it's going to be tough to catch up. So in your white paper, you also say that one of the ways brands and distributors can avoid being swept away by the Amazon tsunami is by leveraging their intimacy with customers and finding ways to surprise them. Can you give us some examples of this? Absolutely. Because the distributor knows their customer's business so intimately, they can not only recommend products that customers didn't even know they needed, but teach those customers how to use those products correctly and even more effectively. Distributors can, can be very, very effective at hand-holding uh, yeah. contractors through you know, new experiences. In another case, distributors see new products oftentimes uh, and new ways of doing things well before contractors do. Yeah. So the distributor can suggest products or services that help customers simplify or streamline their day-to-day -day operations, which in reality can be profits just waiting to fall to the bottom line. Yeah, I'm thinking like, um, you know, IoT solutions or even something as simple as a new, you know, time-saving connector or a tool that strips cable faster or something like vending or storage solutions that contractors need to make sure they have the right products at the job site at the right time. Something that saves them time, um, maybe running to get product. Yeah, and saves time uh, using the product too. Yeah. Uh, you know, maybe you mentioned wire and wire or cable. What about wire or cable that doesn't require lubrication mm -hmm. to pull it through conduit? Yeah. Uh, you know, that's that was that was a great breakthrough by Southwire, yeah. a company we did business with for years and years and oh, years. Okay. Or it could even be an e-commerce solution that allows them to order online 24 hours a day 
see their accounts anytime they want and track their orders. And pretty much what happens with online consumer purchasing every day. Yeah. You know, I can, I can track the shirt I bought uh, from warehouse to my mailbox. Yes, yeah. And we do that. I mean, my family does that all the time with products we order. We want to know where it's at right now, when it's going to get here, you know. So I think distributors probably need to do a little catching up in that regard. And sometimes, um, and I don't know, in terms of fulfillment, other companies can do that for you, I think. So with all this emphasis on technology and e-commerce, what does that say about the human element and the customer's relationship with their distributor? Does it still matter? Oh, it matters a great deal, Katrina. Distributors still have a very important role to play in building and maintaining those relationships with customers. Distributors can anticipate needs. They can clarify uh, complicated uh, items. They can train. They can deliver not only when needed, but where needed, even on a different floor of a, of a site. Mm-hmm. They can extend credit. They can service emergencies. They can customize a relationship that in an Amazon world of ultra-high homogenized efficiency is all but impossible to do. And even so, distributors can't ignore the need for a digital platform as well. Yeah. Certainly. Speaking of which, in your white paper, you proposed a somewhat out-of-the-box, kind of revolutionary idea for distributors. You posed the question, what would happen if a buying group of independent distributors or large distributors like Sonopar or CED or even an association like NAED joined forces to create an Amazon clone or even a storefront on Amazon where distributors could sell product but continue to deliver value through individualized personal service? I know this was uh, more of a rhetorical question, but do you think something like that could actually work? Yes. Not only do I think it would work, but Amazon does too. Uh, Just in January this year, Amazon introduced new premium, what they call A-plus modules as an option for manufacturers to, and I quote, showcase your product by adding video content, larger images, more comprehensive comparison charts, interactive displays, and more. Wow. Yeah, and Amazon says that A-plus content can boost sales from 3 to 10%. Bingo. Wow. I believe it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, um, uh, you know, a distributor or industry platform that functioned like a marketplace, like the marketplace Amazon was, mm-hmm. that offered more personalized service, up-to-the-minute product data, training, demonstration videos, account reviews, order status, where is your shipment now? Uh, that that kind of that kind of experience might be able to beat Amazon at its own game. Yeah, and there's a huge demand for quality content right now, and not just words on a a screen, but like you said, video and demonstrations. And I think, I know distributors and manufacturers are doing that now, but what if it was all right there where you're buying the product? And retailers are doing this. Um, You know, we always talk about paying more attention to what retailers are doing and uh, stealing ideas from them. Um, you know, what if you put all of that right there where they're shopping for the product? And I, there's there's no reason except except time and expense and money and expertise that, <laughs> that distributors and manufacturers couldn't get together and do that on their sites and maybe beat Amazon to the punch on that, right? Is that kind of what you're saying? Well, yeah, I, you know, I realize it was a bit of a stretch and, and probably well out of the comfort zone of most manufacturers. But but this is the kind of thinking we need to do to prepare for the future. Yeah. You know, whether, whether we want to admit it or not, customer loyalty isn't what it used to be. Right. And this was confirmed 
by NAED's 2017 State of the Industry report uh, that contained a quote uh, as follows. Loyalty between manufacturers and distributors has degraded. And the way that I see it, if this friction, if this kinds of, kind of friction continues, not only will distributors and manufacturers feel the heat, but that heat will be transferred to customers as well. They'll feel it too. Yeah, yeah, build those relationships, yeah. Yeah, you know, and it's, it's why it's important to build and maintain relationships among all members of the channel. Yeah. Uh, here at here at Mower, we call this brand as friend or or BAF brand as friend BAF philosophy. It's about building stronger business and personal ties by building affection, relevance, and trust, giving each player a competitive advantage against Amazon or or any other online threat. Yeah, and I think we're going through a very uh, as an industry electrical distribution and probably a lot of other industries, you know, similar industries and especially the trades are going through an interesting transition, kind of a transformation right now where there there is loyalty among, say, contractors to distributors and distributors to manufacturers. Um, and a lot of that loyalty is due to the generation that's currently in those leadership positions, right? But that generation is starting to retire, age out, phase out, whatever, a younger generation is taking over. And we know that those Gen Xers are more used to shopping online, more used to e-commerce, don't have as much of an investment perhaps in the relationships that their bosses, parents, you know, did. So e-commerce is more comfortable and commonplace among that generation. Maybe communication is a little more digital and less personal. So how do you manage those relationships and build customer loyalty during that sort of generational transition? Sure. Uh, There's no argument uh, with the importance of relationships. Obviously, it's it's a distributor's strongest suit. Uh, And no one would argue with the importance of relationships in the manufacturer, distributor, contractor dynamic either. Mm-hmm. And so in our experience, in our world, uh, brand is friend or, or BAF mm-hmm. is transformational. It's a transform- transformational force that focuses on building affection, relevance, and trust among manufacturers, channel partners, and customers. So Katrina, I want you to think for a second. Mm-hmm. I want you to think for a second about the qualities that brought you together with some of your best friends. Now imagine customers experiencing those same qualities from product brands and distributors. Don't you think that would make for a great business relationship too? Yeah, absolutely. And thinking about that, some of it is shared experiences. So maybe there's still a place for those events and activities that, you know, we love to do. Um, and, you know, my clients almost always become my friends. And if, if I don't enjoy working with them, I just, I don't usually continue. <laughs> I find another client that I like better um, or they don't like me and they go away. That happens too, obviously. Um, and it doesn't really, I don't plan it. It just sort of happens. It's part of our relationship. So that makes complete sense. Um, but how do you get there, I guess, you know, um, so maybe you can offer some insight into that. How do you build those relationships, especially maybe when you're at a distance from each other and you don't see each other? Yeah, well, we, we did a great amount of research um, in constructing uh, the brand as friend model. Um, we worked with a, a PhD in behavioral science, and in doing so, we found that those three qualities that I mentioned, uh, affection, relevance and trust are at the heart of friendships. 
and that there are three drivers for each of those three qualities. We can index how strong or weak those qualities are in a given brand and for its competitors as well and then develop marketing, communications, and selling strategies uh, that can manipulate, strengthen, or leverage any number of those nine drivers to strengthen the overall relationship. Mm -hmm. So for affection, we know that caring, listening, and surprise are important. So if you want to build affection for your brand, maybe you can demonstrate care a little differently or more effectively. Maybe you can listen more carefully. Yeah. And, and demonstrate how you're listening. Now, that could be that could be online, certainly. That could be in social uh, environments yeah. and, and the like. For relevance, it's storytelling, it's style and connecting. You know, if you want to if you want to build relevance, tell great stories that are important to your to your customers, uh, or demonstrate your style, or or make sure you help clients, customers, and and channel partners connect better and share experiences better. That's going to make you more relevant to them. And as far as trust goes, it's really important to emphasize honesty, advice, and loyalty. Hmm. So working and balancing all these can give you competitive advantage over Amazon and, and other competitive threats because it moves the emphasis from selling to service in a far more personalized way. And it'll reveal opportunities to develop more enduring relationships with, with those customers. I know you and I have kind of been watching each other on LinkedIn for a while, and I have developed a lot of relationships over LinkedIn, of course, other social media, some personal and business relationships over Facebook. But um, I've been writing and publishing a lot on LinkedIn now for three years, and I've gotten several new clients just because they feel they know me from articles I've published on LinkedIn or comments. I'm not so much involved in groups. It's more just um, building my brand and and publishing a lot on LinkedIn. And I think after a while, people started have started to trust me because of what I've written or, you know, whatever. And I have people who call me who I think feel like they know me and trust me. So I think there's a lot to be said for digital and social media. Do you agree? Yeah, I do agree. Um, I not only communicate through LinkedIn, I publish on LinkedIn yeah. fairly extensively. Yeah. And, uh, uh, deliver uh, content uh, on LinkedIn, and I get comments back on the content that I deliver to yeah. to clients, to, to prospects. Uh, so it's it's a very active part of what I do day to day, and and what I reference day to day. Yeah. So content marketing, whether it's LinkedIn blogs on your website, whatever, is maybe one of the ways you can develop those relationships and friendships. Another topic I know you're very passionate about, John, is product launches. It's something Mower works with clients on, and I'm sure you've worked on a great deal throughout your career. You talk about a progressive product launch, which starts before the product is actually available. I'm sure this um, sounds like blasphemy to some distributors, but can you explain what this is and how and why it works? Well, um it's a model that, that uh, I saw and observed and participated in uh, more frequently in the tech space. Oh, okay. I haven't seen it much uh, in the construction products, distributed products area uh, on the building and uh, construction side. So think about this. Most of the product launches that we see activated burn up about three months of, 
of very focused time and effort. Mm -hmm. Yet many of the launches are a year or more in the making. I've worked with product managers and, and watched them spend months and months of time doing market, product, and competitive research, mm -hmm. and an equal amount of time studying you know, how manufacturable is a product, yeah. uh, what's the pricing going to be, what are the vol volume forecasts, uh, and, and so on. So if, if, if it takes that long to bring the product to market, why limit the launch time, the, the, the really active part of the launch, to just a quarter? Yeah. Or why focus all the energy? I see this a lot, too, when all the energy of the launch is focused on a single event. Yeah, or, what a waste. A big, a big event. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, it just it doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, so you put all this research and planning into it, then you have this very short-term launch. So you're saying even in the planning stages of the new product, brands can start talking or even hyping the product or the, or the technology? Yeah, yeah, you know, as... As, uh, as planning for a new product launch starts, imagine, imagine a launch that starts well before the product is available. Uh, imagine, for instance, a product, uh, a product uh, beginning the launch months early mm -hmm. with news about, uh, let's say, a new manufacturing technology that makes a, a product stronger or more durable or lighter and easier on the back. Or maybe the product will feature a major improvement in materials that makes installation faster, like um, I, I mentioned the Southwire. Yeah. The, the Southwire innovation on uh, being able to pull a product, pull a pull, pull a wire without uh, any any uh, lubrication. lubrication. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, the the brand can feed information about material to the press or the technology through the channel, or 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 do that both. But don't um, distributors get annoyed a little bit when that happens? Like, oh, that sounds great. I want it now. And then they can't get it now. I mean, that's something I've heard talked about at meetings or conferences in the past. Like, oh, this is great. Get me, you know, a hundred of them. They're like, oh, well, you can't have it yet. <laughs> yeah. But uh, if, if you're promoting the technology before you promote the product. So oh, I in see. other words, in the, uh, in the Southwire example, mm -hmm. uh, the, the, the material um, was called Simple, S-I-M-P-U-L-L. Yes, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, and uh, it was a technology that uh, just made uh, coating slipperier. Yeah, okay. And, uh, you know, we're able to talk about uh, Simple or talk about ideas that uh, enabled something to be slipperier, less, yeah. provide less resistance, and, and uh, lo and behold, it uh, shows up on a string of new products. I get you. That, that Southwire uh, introduced. So don't talk about it as a thing. Talk about it as a technology or something that will enable or show up in products, not exactly as a thing that we have available for you, but you can't have it. Right, right. <laughs> okay. And, and once once the, uh, the, the product is available or once the product is finished uh, and before launch, uh, that new product can be trialed confidentially by a well-known user. Yeah, we've seen and participated in this many, many times. Okay. And during that trial phase, you know, we're always uh, looking to take photographs of it being used or shoot yeah. video uh, that uh, documents the before and after. Well, here's how we used to do it. Right. And now this is the we've tried this new thing. And man, it is the cat's pajamas. And, you know, that really helps uh, sell the deal as the project or the, excuse me, as the product is commercialized in the marketplace. 
Okay. Um, so that reminds me of an article I read recently about um, IoT. Actually, I just wrote an article for uh, TED Magazine about marketing the Internet of Things, which I think continues to be a challenge. I think it's going to be out in July. Anyway, um, but I read this article about IoT and the actually specifically the industrial Internet of Things that predicted how large industrial environments like power plants and factories will soon be able to process very large amounts of data much faster, which then can be used to monitor systems to reduce waste and efficiencies. And I don't know if we're there yet. Maybe some people are testing it. I don't know. But um, if I were a manufacturer, I might start talking about these technologies a year or so after. Out to start building my brand and positioning my company as a market leader, right? Is that kind of the concept you're talking about? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. And, and when the product actually does launch, you know, the public relations, content, advertising, all those things can pick up on that early news about the technology. So, so you get to use all of that, uh, all of that buzz about the technology mm-hmm. when the launch actually takes place. Yeah. So, you know, you, for instance, you could say now there is a product that uses a breakthrough technology to help you work easier, faster, or safer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and we used editorial road shows oh, okay. uh, that, take, yeah, that take the product out to publishers, for instance, for demos, side okay. by side, old way, new way. Mm-hmm. And uh, the trial video that was shot becomes proof of concept and a great testimonial from a leading user. Oh, cool. You know, you know what I kind of miss? I know that social media has, uh, in a large way, replaced PR. I kind of miss the old PR stuff, don't you? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> it absolutely. was kind of, I mean, I didn't do a lot. I, was, I came into the PR aspect of this career a little late, but I kind of miss the old PR stuff. But, you know, I like social media, too. Yeah, but the PR stuff is is still effective. Yeah. And, and really... Social media is is part and parcel of everything that we do in uh, in PR at uh, Mower. Uh, it, it's our, our PR department really manages social relationships. Yes, uh, bloggers and and such. And that's how it should be. I mean, that makes sense. And speaking of which, what do you what do you think about external validation for say technologies and new products like endorsements or reviews by bloggers or awards programs? Are they worth it? Yeah, for sure. Endorsements or testimonials from a recognized and respected user can really help fuel product trial and adoption. And as we move along the the launch timeline, we can start looking for new product or technology awards programs as well. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, many publishers create product of the year competitions, and this becomes a great way to recharge a launch and provide provide an effective hook for those later adopters. In the meantime, reporter and bloggers are writing about the products as a result of those earlier roadshows we did. Yeah. More proof, even more interest. Uh, and the smart marketer is packaging and feeding all of this to distributors yep. in ways they can use for sales calls, for local events, for lunch and learns, etc. You, you know, people forget that sometimes that there's an adoption curve. Mm-hmm. So, so what's old news to an early adopter is brand spanking new to later adopt. Exactly. Yeah, and then it's our job as marketers and PR people to kind of keep refeeding that, reposting it, reblogging it, whatever, to pull in those late adopters and laggards so they get on board, you know. Mhm. Yeah. Absolutely. Interesting. 
John, I've noticed that in addition to product launches and competitive strategy, you've written quite a bit about customer loyalty. Um, in electrical distribution and I'm sure some of the other industries you've worked in, many people probably question loyalty and whether brands and distributors can build customer loyalty in such a price-sensitive environment. Is loyalty building really worth the investment? Definitely, Katrina. Absolutely. Consider the benefits of customer loyalty. The well-known and respected consulting firm Bain & Company said that leaders in loyalty grow 4% to 8% above the market's performance. Mm. Considering this and that loyal customers generate higher repeat purchases, are more willing to try new products, and display less sensitivity to price increases, mm. there are ample reasons why you'd want to build more loyal customers. Okay, I agree, but can you build loyalty and loyal customers in the construction trades? Well, it, it's clear to us that whether you're a manufacturer wanting to build loyalty for your brand or a distributor wanting to build loyalty for your business, creating more loyal customers is a challenge, but it can be done. Over our years of work in the trades, we've identified four factors that, that when balanced, can create more loyalty for brands and distributors. And these four factors are differentiating products and or services. You, you, you have to differentiate your products very, very effectively. And you have to deliver products that are consistently better and smarter. Durability is second. Um, you got to deliver products with longevity, products that are around for a long time, that endure over time, that don't break down on the job site. Uh, the third factor is promise. You've got to deliver on your promises. And those promises usually are reliability. You know, is the product going to stand up? Consistency, is it the same all the time? Availability, uh, is it on the job site when I need it? Or is it on the shelf when I'm there to pick it up? And, and a warranty that stands up and, and is also reliable and dependable. The fourth factor is service and relationship. You got to deliver one-to-one -one personal service and uh, maintain a proactive relationship. You, you got to try and be ahead of your customer uh, at all times. Uh, you got to be ready to snap to uh, when the fingers snap. All right, that makes a lot of sense. I, I feel like a lot of distributors anyway feel that the product and service part is tough for them because they're selling a lot of the same thing. The durability is a little bit out of their hands because it's based on the products that they're buying from their manufacturers. I think where they can gain an advantage and where I feel they have more control is under, well, promise in terms of their own companies and service. So I think that's where I see a lot of them focusing their efforts. But um, yeah, the four factors, differentiating your products and services, durability within the product, um, their promise to their customers and the service and relationship. Relationships. And this is true for both distributors and manufacturers, correct? It's a partnership. Mm -hmm. uh, building, building loyalty is a collaboration between the brand owners, the manufacturers, and the brand sellers, the distributors. It's a partnership that leverages uh, not only rational motivations like product innovation and performance and speeds and feeds and all those things, but also emotional drivers like trust and peace of mind. Yeah, and those are both so important, aren't they? I mean, when it gets down to it, it's about the human element, and human beings are both rational and emotional at the same time, and that really brings in your brand as friend concept, right? Absolutely. And before we get off of this topic, I wanted to say, you know, if there's one, 
Uh, there are several things I'd like to see happen in this industry. One is I'd like to see there be more of a, a recruiting effort for young people um, in the industry. That's a big thing of mine. I'd like to see marketing become more of a, a, a higher level function. I say that all the time. But I'd also like to see more collaboration between uh, manufacturers and distributors. And I tend to put more on the manufacturers because I think they have more resources. But especially as we're looking to developing more content and and you know helping distributors build their e-commerce, I think there's so much more that could happen in terms of manufacturers supporting distributors. Do you have any thoughts on that? I, I do. I'll go back a, a, a few years, several years actually, to um, my early work with Pass and Seymour. We created a tagline for Pass and Seymour. It was titled "The One That Works for You." Nice. And it was it was built around the idea that relationships are collaborative. Yeah. And that the manufacturer really needed to understand what the distributors' issues were, what they were going through, yeah. and and what difficulties manufacturers caused them. <laughs> like, like you know, if you made a mistake on an invoice, yeah. well, you know, that cost the distributor money. If your fill rate was low, yeah. uh, that was a problem. Yeah. When you did split shipments, uh, when half of your order showed up on Thursday and the other half showed up a, a week and a half later. Right. That slows you down, right? You... That's not what the distributor really needed. And so Pass and Seymour made a commitment to its distributors uh, that it would do everything in its power not to slow them down. Yeah. And so uh, Pass and Seymour uh, promised and kept the promise that if it made a mistake, they would make good on it and they would pay the distributor in cash or in credit uh, to make up for that distributor's trouble. Wow. And what happened to that program? It still exists today. It's called Cornerstone. It's called what? Cornerstone. Nice. It's it's one of the highest manufacturer programs around today. And not only did it work on getting the product into the distributor as efficiently and smoothly as possible, mm-hmm. but the other half of Cornerstone was getting it off the shelf. The distributor market, sell, and move that inventory off the shelf. Nice, faster. nice. And it still happens today. It's still working today. And this is a perfect example of how uh, a manufacturer and its channel partners can collaborate uh, to greater effectiveness, to higher market shares, to, to, to more selling and more effective selling. And it, it just keeps rolling. Up. I wonder why more manufacturers don't do that. I'm sure it's just like everything else. It's time and cost and resources and staff. I've worked with, uh, I call them Don Torrent at LeGrand, um, Don Torrent at LeGrand, and they do some cool, I've also worked with a couple other companies who do this. Um, I've seen a little bit more of these distributor marketing councils where they bring in um, some key uh, marketing VPs and managers and they bring them to, you know, to a, a city and have them for a few days say, how can we help you market your companies better? And what can we do? Um, how can we market our products better? And they just, they sort of get together. They do a little training. They talk about products. They help each other. They let the marketers talk to each other, bring them in from non-competing areas. And and of course, I'm looking at everything from a marketing perspective. There's a lot more that I'm just not privy to. Legrand has an online portal where distributors can log in and download all kinds of educational resources and marketing resources and photos and videos to play on their monitors and their their counter areas. And I'd like to see more of that. And not just here are some materials for you, but training sessions and 
I don't know. And I, I'd love to be more, but I do my own training too. And I'd love to do more of that on behalf of manufacturers or just on my own. I just think there's such an opportunity for manufacturers and distributors to work together. And there's an opportunity to do more marketing training in this industry. And, and it's getting so much more competitive and so much harder. And I'm getting calls from, I just got a call and I won't say who, but from a, a decent sized distributor um, on the East Coast who they said, you know, we've, we've got to up our game. I've kind of been an order taker and now I need to be a, a strategist and I need to um, be more of a marketing leader. And we're kind of going to work through that together. There's more pressure on marketers and they need help and resources and backup and manufacturers are in, in an ideal position to supply that to provide that to them and to create that brand as friend relationship. You know, if they can step in and provide those resources and training, they're going to be in a wonderful position with those distributors, don't you think? Absolutely. And, and uh, you know, I've, I've worked with many, many uh, brands in the construction space and time and again, uh, it's an evergreen issue. Uh, distributors and contractors uh, ask, beg, plead for training. Yeah. Uh, you know, products are becoming more technical in nature. Yeah. Uh, they they aren't. Uh, they don't necessarily live in an analog world anymore. Right. And and uh, you know, our channel partners out there and the contractors that they serve want to be trained. Help me help me do my business better, do, help me help my, my employees work faster, yeah. work safer, uh, and, and with less stress on them every day. Yeah. Show me how to do this. Show me uh, how to save time. Show me how I can spread my workforce across the job site more effectively. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's, a great, uh, it's a great assist, but it's also a great competitive weapon. So, John, I understand you have a little thank you gift for our listeners. You and the mower team have developed a downloadable tool to help product managers, sales managers, and marketers orchestrate a progressive product launch. It's called, um, well, why don't you tell them what it's called and tell us about it a little bit. Well, it's, a, it's something we call the think list. Um, and we call it a think list because we see it as the opposite of a checklist. <laughs> and, uh, you, you, know, you know as well as I do that... Uh, I've heard it time and again. Well, we've got a new product. The product's going to be out in three months. And, uh, you know, we're going to need this. We're going to need yep. this. And we're going to need Check the, those boxes. Check, check the, the boxes. Box. Yeah. And this is really designed uh, to, uh, uh, you know, to attack conventional wisdom. Mm-hmm. And we, so we created a list of things to think about. I love before that. Before conventional wisdom creeps in. And, yeah. And, and you, you pull know, out they, the same list you used last year. Yeah, exactly. You know, we call it the six dirty words of construction marketing. You know what they are? No. We've always done it this way. Oh, those are dirty words. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> we always fight those dirty words. And so anyway, uh, we we designed uh, this think list uh, to take people through a variety of different ways to look and think about a launch. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it really it, it really helps build a launch plan outside uh, of a vacuum and inside the real world that's going on out there. 
Cool. I was wondering why you called it a think list because I am a list maker. I, my children, I've trained my children to be list makers too. So like I have lists, I have a list on my computer for like beach vacation packing list and work trip packing list. And those are things for which you should have lists, you know, so you don't have to do it again every time. But, but when I'm thinking about a new project or offering a new class, that's an, or, or business planning, that's an entirely different exercise, right? That's more of a, you know, thinking in the shower or while you're on a plane or driving and your mind's a little more open. So that's good that you, I wondered about that, but that's a good tie. That's a good name for it. Think list. I like that a lot. Um, And it's different than brainstorming. I'm tired of the word brainstorming. Well, this is, this really focuses your thinking on different aspects of, of what happens in a launch. Yeah. Very Uh, cool. Yeah. And, and uh, I, I happened to pass it along to uh, a company that we, we spoke to, in a new business environment. And um, the comment I got back was saying, boy, I wish we would have had this two or three launches ago. And you're like, well, you have it now. Here you go. (laughs) So move ahead, move forward. (laughs) Yeah. And it, like I said, it really helps you think through a problem uh, and think through the problems with a launch that oftentimes and unfortunately happens after the fact. Yeah. Do you, um, I bet you do this. Do you debrief after things? I do this with my clients. I do it myself after an event or a launch or a whatever. I'm like, okay, let's be, while it's still fresh in our minds, let's sit down and think through what worked, what didn't, what would we do differently? I used to do, when I taught, I did this after every single class, uh, you know, after the, the semester ended, I was like, what can I do? How can I make this better? Do you guys do that after products, launches and things? We do, yes, we do. Uh, but uh, t- to be honest with you, not as often as we would like to do. Mm. Okay. Uh, because of these days, you know, the, unfortunately, we are kind of in a quarter by quarter uh, cycle. Mm-hmm. And, you know, all of a sudden when, when one project's done, uh, we've got to move on to the next quarter. Yeah. And uh, it's, uh, you know, we, we would love to talk to you about uh, how well this went yeah. or how well it didn't. Yeah. I, I do want to mention that that uh, on our website there's a tool called the Mower Success Plan. Oh, okay. It's there on the website for people to download. It will help facilitate not only what should happen before a launch or before an initiative or before a campaign, mm-hmm. but also give you the tools for discussion and measurement after the campaign runs. Okay, so it's really and up so, to the the client to do the debrief afterwards. Is kind of what you're saying. Because they well, saw it, uh, they were there. Sure, for, and for if we're working together, the success plan really unifies the players. Okay, it identifies all the players, what they're responsible for, and who the person is responsible. Oh, I see. And so those people can gather throughout the the program and after the program to to talk through it, determine what worked, what didn't, uh, what should have been emphasized a little oh, bit stronger, and maybe what should have gone a little bit longer. Yeah. Okay, cool. Good. I will pass that on. And your website address is? www.mower.com. Great. Thank you so much. Um, Hey, John, do you have any final thoughts or advice for distributors or manufacturers who are um, planning a product launch or on anything we've talked about today? Um, Maybe ways to build more intimate relationships with their customers before we sort of wrap up? Well, I do. And Katrina, I know you taught. And actually, I taught uh, advertising at Syracuse University's Newhouse School. Oh, okay. And it was a great experience because it, it kept you active, uh, not only in the business, but in the theory of the business. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes, 
where we don't remain active in the theory of the business, we work, worry about day to day. Mm -hmm. But I would tell my students, uh, and I think this is relevant for, for my final thoughts, I told my students that marketing and communication begins and ends with the target customer. Yep. We can never know enough about the customer. And despite how familiar we might be with contractors, for instance, and what they do and how they do it, um, we can never know enough about their world. So true. And we will never stop being educated by them. Mm -hmm. And so it's the business or the brand that believes uh, and builds its business around the customer that will be much the better for it. Yep. And even if you knew it five years ago, it's different today, right? Yeah. It changes constantly. And it will be different. Yeah, it'll be different tomorrow. Exactly. So what you think you knew or what you knew five years ago or three years ago or six months ago may be different today. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Those six dirty words, you know, we've always done it this way. Yeah. Your market's going to change. Exactly. You can't do it the same way. Well, John Favallo of Mower, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to join me on Market Boldly today. Well, Katrina Olson of Market Boldly, <laughs> thank you so much for inviting me. <laughs> And I appreciate being here. All right. Well, my guest today was John Favallo, Executive Vice President of the B2B Practice at Mower, one of America's largest privately held full-service marketing, advertising, PR, and strategic consulting agencies with nine locations throughout New York and in Atlanta, Boston, Charlotte, and Cincinnati. You've been listening to the award-winning podcast, Market Boldly, with marketing consultant, writer, and host, Katrina Olson. If you need help with marketing planning and strategy, writing, content development, or qualitative research, or if your organization needs a trainer or speaker for a meeting or conference, visit KatrinaOlson.com for more information. Find this and future episodes of Market Boldly on Katrina's website at KatrinaOlson.com or subscribe on iTunes or Google Play. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time on Market Boldly.